service. So, with all of that said, why don't you help me to welcome Pastor Steph O'Brien as she continues in our series called Stretch. Why don't we welcome her to the stage? Thank you so much. All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy. Uh, it sounds like Mill City Church is a vineyard church today. <laughs> And they're better for it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Pastor Gary had to preach two messages, so pray for him right now. He's gearing up for number two over there at Sheridan School. I mean, we are literally on the same street. Have you thought about that? We are, we are just down Broadway. And I just, I'm always thinking about this. I'm always thinking about how when it comes to people who are seeking after Jesus, there is only one church. It just meets in many locations. Amen. And so here we are on the same street with the same heart, uh, and, and, and we are together, even though we are separate on Sunday mornings, I think we are together in heart. And so it's true what Pastor Gary said. I have been praying for you all. I'm so grateful. He's been here for almost a year now, and it's been so great to get to know him. And uh, we have been a church now for almost 14 years, so a little bit younger than Mercy, but uh, right away, Mercy was so warm in welcoming us to Northeast Minneapolis, and since then, we have been able to partner together. Uh, I, I think we're going to be doing an egg hunt this spring uh, on e Easter weekend together, so that's something to look forward to, a way that we're going to be able to partner, um, but I'm so grateful. Um, so I want to just, if you don't know who I am, like Pastor Gary said, I guess I have a lot of things that start with P, professor, pastor, podcaster, all those kind of things. Um, I'm also married to my husband, JD. We've only been married for just five years coming up. So we're about to hit the five-year mark. So if anyone has advice for me later, you know, we're still early in this marriage and we're getting to know each other. So I brought a picture of him. So if you ever see him, you can't miss him. All right. But we're getting to know each other um, slowly but surely. So put, can you put a picture of him up there? There he is. Okay. So now what I want, I, what, I, what I mean when I say we might need a little bit of marriage advice is that because we got married like a little later in life, we had some things to work out. So like for instance, when we got to know each other, he let it slip. He kind of prefers women with straight hair. You know? And I said, well, I prefer men with hair, but you don't always get what you want. You know? But what I have learned in five years is that you always get what you need when it comes to a partner in life. Uh, put this next picture of him. I bought him this t-shirt that says trophy husband. That just gives you a picture of the fact that that man wanted that shirt. That just gives you a picture of who he is. Uh, we don't have any uh, human children, but we have two canine children, Chaco and Obi. Um, and Obi's tongue really is that long. It's kind of intense. Uh, and we, we live here in Northeast, and those dogs are, are crazy, and we have a housemate, and it's uh, a lot of personality in one house, um, but we love it. I'm so excited to continue this conversation that y'all are having about stretching towards the kingdom and stretching deeper into what it looks like for us to be people collectively as Jesus followers, to press in in that way. Um, so let's pray together, and we'll jump into God's word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would fill this space, that you would fill our lives and our hearts. God, for anybody who's maybe here for one of the first few times, we just pray that you would just surround them with your peace and an openness to you and who you are. God, I thank you for Mercy Vineyard Church, your faithfulness, God, for the fact that you have more in store for the future than we can look back on because we know, God, you are leading us to continue to press in. God, we thank you for Pastor Gary and Mill City this morning as well. And we come together at the foot of the cross, together, unified, saying we are, we are one in you. And so we pray, God, that you would teach us from your word, that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that, that I wouldn't be a distraction and get in the way of what you want to say to these people that you love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'd like to start out with a question. And I don't know if you guys are people who will answer the question. We'll find out, okay? So what is something, a food or a beverage that you find yourself craving? Does anyone be willing to shout out, like, oh, I just need that. I need to have that. 
Coffee. Mountain Dew. Are you one of those, like, there's orange juice in it? Mountain Dew guys? Okay, because apparently there is orange juice in it, but... Mm. Okay, coffee, Mountain Dew. Anyone for ice cream? Yeah, donuts, those kinds of things. Okay. It's interesting how many of them are sweet things. Who's the people who are like, no, it's salty, I'm savory and salty? Yeah, okay. So I'm on the sweet category, and I have this dessert that I love. Some of you have probably had it before. Um, a good Thai restaurant will have this mango sticky rice dessert. Oh, if I find a moment when I crave that, it's like, I don't know what comes over me. I'm in my car all of a sudden. I'm driving. I don't even know how I got there. <laughs> and I'm checking out the different restaurants, finding them. And I love getting people into the thing that, that I'm into. So my friend Keisha, she's from Florida. And she's like, I don't know why. There's more mangoes down here, but I can never find the mango sticky dessert. I'm like, so sorry, Keisha. You're going to have to come visit us in frozen Minnesota to get this amazing thing. But have you noticed that the things in your life that you deeply crave, you almost feel compelled to go find them? You know, like we're, we're all, you know, it's been a while since New Year's resolution. So at this point, if you're feeling that crave for ice cream, you might find yourself with a bowl in your hand. At this point, we go after the things that we crave, the things that we desire. The reality of life is, as people, as humans, when we desire something, when we crave it, we go looking for it. And today I want to talk about this concept and this, this conversation around seeking first the kingdom. As we're talking about stretching towards the kingdom, thinking about seeking first the kingdom. Mill City's been in the book of Matthew this year so far, so I thought I'd bring to you a little, a little glimpse of what we've been talking about, and specifically on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters in Matthew 5, and we are going to be in Scripture today, so if you've got an app or a Bible, pull it out. These three chapters of Matthew 5 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's become very famous. Many of you know of it. And right at this kind of climactic moment in the sermon, Jesus says this phrase, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you think about seeking, let me just break this down a little bit. We'll have it up here on the screen. Seeking... Think about it this way, his, a desire, a long for, a craving. So, so seek, desire, long, crave first, his, God's kingdom, and I know the way of thinking of kingdom is his reign, God's reign over the earth, and then his righteousness. I'm sure here you've talked about righteousness is the synonym for justice or right making. Seek, desire, long, crave first, the kingdom of God and God's justice, and God's justice. So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is kind of fleshing out what this looks like, kind of unpacking what this looks like. But I have to be honest with you today. When I think about this idea of seeking first the kingdom, I don't do that, <laughs> okay? I feel more overwhelmed with desire for mango sticky rice dessert most days than I do for seeking after the kingdom of God. And today I want to declare this a shame-free zone because I don't think that's what God has for us. But it is interesting that Jesus, while walking on this earth, said, seek first the kingdom of God and God's justice, and most of us wake up every day and that's not what we do. And I think there's some reasons for that. I think we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. But let's say, let's, that this isn't about shame and, oh man, I'm desiring the wrong things again. No, no, I think there's an invitation from a God who loves us, from a God who loved us so much to come to this earth and to take on a human body and walk around in this broken space with us to say, there is a better way. There is more to desire than, I mean, the sticky rice is really good and I'm with you for the coffee, but there's more to desire and to crave. And, and I think Jesus' invitation out of love for us is to intentionally reorient our hearts. 
Intentionally reorient our lives towards the kingdom. And I think that Jesus knows, this is my opinion, I think Jesus knows that's gonna be something we have to try to do every day. And some days we're not going to be able to do it very well. But I think there's always that invitation and you see it so clearly here. In the middle of this powerful sermon, seek first his kingdom and God's justice. So I, I think Jesus wants this for us. Because if, if you're like me and you look back on your life, there are some times when I've seen myself like either seasons or days where I really was seeking the kingdom. You know what? Those weren't always the most fun days. They weren't always the most easy days. But days when I was seeking first the kingdom are the most meaningful days of my life. I think that's why it's something that Jesus wants for us. And it's something that Jesus wants for us out of his love for us. And it's no surprise to him that we have a lot of other things that pull at our minds and our hearts. I feel like the things I desire often comes more from like Instagram than from what I think God's heart is for me. My desires and my things I crave come more from these like expectations the world has put on me about what you're supposed to be doing at different stages of life and oh, and you're supposed to be having kids, what are you doing? Like that kind of stuff, where does that come from? Seeking first the kingdom is an invitation from Jesus. So I wanna actually just jump right into the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where we see Jesus kind of setting the stage for all he's gonna say in the sermon. And today we're gonna focus on the Beatitudes, this beginning, kind of the, the, the foundation before Jesus jumps into the Sermon on the Mount. I encourage you to read it again. If you have never read the Sermon on the Mount before, this would be a great time to give it a, a read. And if you've read it many, many times, why don't you read it again this week and just open your heart to what God might want to say to you. So let me just start right away in Matthew 5, okay? I'm just gonna read the first verse. This is what it says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Okay, let's just stop here for a second. You gotta always think about the context. What is going on here? All right, Jesus sees these crowds. He, instead of going towards the crowds, we know Jesus sometimes, often, he does go towards the crowds, doesn't he? Or he welcomes them. This is interesting. He's walking away from the crowd and he goes up on this mountainside. This is supposed to be a throwback to Mount Sinai when Moses goes up on the mountain and comes down with the law. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. Uh, and so he's up on this mountainside and he sits down. Now, I think the sitting down is interesting. Did you know that when rabbis were giving a talk, oftentimes the disciples were standing and it was the person giving the talk or the sermon who was sitting? So if I could have you all stand. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's often what was happening. We picture it differently, don't we, because of our context. And then it says his disciples came to him and, began, and he began to teach them. Now, I want us to remember that this is his disciples because these are the people who've already said, Jesus, I'm in. I will follow you. Where are we going? What are we doing? This is not the crowds who are just curious about who Jesus is because I think Jesus would maybe engage with them differently because when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is just being real clear and direct, isn't he? He is not packing, like he is not hiding anything. He's packing all the punches in. But that's because he's already talking to the people who have said, Jesus, I'm in. I wanna be your disciple. I wanna walk in your ways. I wanna, I wanna follow you. And so as you read the Sermon on the Mount and as you listen to these Beatitudes, remember Jesus is saying to these people who have said, I'm in. All right, you're in. Let me tell you something. And he starts off with the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, this is a Latin word, Beatitude. It's not, uh, it, it, it's not actually in the Bible. It's, it's a phrase that we have that sometimes is the header here. Beatitude is Latin, like I said. It, it means a blessing or a sense of um, rich blessing, this kind of definition. We'll put up here on the screen, happy, rich, blessed. Uh, that's what a beatitude is. And we see that Jesus is here and he's, he's giving these eight descriptions of who Jesus calls blessed and why. 
All right, now I, I learned some things studying this that I had never learned before, so I hope that you can engage with some new things today. But what we find out right away in the beginning of these Beatitudes is this. Jesus announces these blessings on the most unlikely audience. Jesus announces these blessings on those who are destitute, those who are, are stricken with grief. Jesus announces these blessings on people who are longing for justice and for wrong things to be made right. And we know the primary hearers are oppressed people in their culture. And they're hearing these words, Jesus saying that they are blessed. Now, before I read them, I want to bring up two more things. Uh, I, I teach at Bethel Seminary, and one of our professors, Dr. Janine Brown, she wrote a commentary on Matthew. She's brilliant. She says there's two important things that we need to know about the first century context in these Jewish folks so that we can understand the Beatitudes deeper. And here's what she says, I have them up here on the screen. First of all, the first century context, the broader Greco-Roman world, now this is the dominant culture that the Jewish subculture, which is a oppressed group, like I said, the broader Greco-Roman world was highly conscious of status. Okay, so it was very, very conscious of status. The, the rich and the poor, the aristocracy and the peasants, the uh, men and women, that this is, the, the, this is the way in which people were existing in the world. Now, we in our context here have similar but very distinct and different issues with status, but we still have status problems, don't we? So this is very important as we're listening to this. Second, in Jewish theology, Yahweh was revealed as a God who sides with the poor and the lowly. You see this throughout scripture, but an example is Isaiah 61. You see in Isaiah the prophet saying, this God, Yahweh, who you follow is a God who sides with, who, who chooses, who prefers to say, I am with those who are most destitute, who are most lowly. And when you listen to the Beatitudes with these two things in mind, this helps us to see uh, what is happening here. Because I think what we see is a status reversal, this great reversal happening. The great reversal, so have this in your mind, the great reversal. So there are two, uh, there are eight of these Beatitudes and there's kind of two sections. The first four and the second four. I'm going to read them all together to you. All right. And then we'll, we'll talk about that. So starting here in the end of verse two. And he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then it, it continues to go on there uh, a little bit. Oh, there's one more. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you keep reading 11 uh, and 12, it's kind of making comments on that last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. So the great reversal, right? These are not the people you would think are blessed. Once, great reversal is happening here. So you've got the first four statements and the second four statements. The first four statements are about God's kingdom as a reversal of situation and status. Look at these four a reversal of situation and status. The status the world around you gives you poor. Poor monetarily, poor in spirit. But Jesus says, I say, the whole kingdom, my kingdom is yours. Jesus flips the script, right? Those who grieve will be comforted by God. 
Those who are meek, another way of thinking of meek is powerless. Those who are powerless will inherit the earth. (laughs) Do you see how Jesus is flipping it upside down? And then those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. One commentary put it this way. Those who are starved for justice. Have you felt starved for justice in these last few years? I know I have. Starved for justice. Those people will be filled. They will be satisfied when the wrong things will be made right. All right, so that's the first four. God's kingdom as a reversal of situation and status. Now the second four. The second four are a reversal of God's kingdom values and saying, hey, the values you see are this, but I'm gonna flip that script and here's what God's kingdom values. God's kingdom is a reversal of values. Show mercy to other people. That first century culture was a culture that was all about uh, vengeance and getting revenge, (laughs) but the kingdom value is mercy. God's kingdom values a a purity of heart or integrity, (laughs) not hypocrisy. The kingdom values peacemaking, not peacekeeping, peacemaking. The people who intentionally make peace or God's shalom and pursue that in their life, they are children of God. It's what it means. If you're in God's family, you're a peacemaker. That's what it is. It's part of the, the, the hereditary value in your life. And then the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness or because of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That last one's a little tricky. Think about it this way. Blessing is given to those who are persecuted for their commitment to and solidarity with those experiencing justice. Blessed, blessing, God's blessing is given to those who are persecuted for their commitment to and their solidarity with, choosing, this is a choice, to stand with those who are experiencing injustice. So the Beatitudes declare this reality that God's kingdom is a reversal of situation and status and God's kingdom is a reversal of values. And I don't know about you, but I find it encouraging to hear Jesus name all these difficult realities like injustice and grief and powerlessness and say that in the midst of that, God's blessing is there. I find that encouraging. But I'm gonna be honest with you today and say I find a lot of tension in that too (laughs) because I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest and say that the fact is is that it doesn't always feel like rich, happy blessings when we find ourselves in deep grief, does it? Or when we're called names or put down by other people, maybe even in our family, when we make the choice to have solidarity, I made a choice, I don't even have to do this, but I am choosing to have solidarity with those who are experiencing injustice. And when we're getting names called at us or being ignored at the dinner table, it does not feel like what we sang earlier, being blessed to be a blessing, does it? There's a tension here, right? There's a tension that it doesn't always feel like this definition of blessing in the midst of what we're experiencing. And I want to tell you today that right here in the text, it's easy to miss, but right here in the text, Jesus is addressing this tension. And it's in a way that I think we often miss. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, you know those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it? All right, we're going to have a once you see it, you can't unsee it moment, all right? So a third thing I want to, to bring to the surface today is that God's kingdom is in the midst of the tension of the already but the not yet. Maybe this is a phrase you've heard if you haven't before. It is a phrase that lots of theologians and scholars use to help us hold this tension of this reality that the kingdom of God, like Jesus said, is near. It is coming now, but it is also not here yet fully until Jesus returns and the reign of God fills the earth and all the wrong things will be made right. 
We see that so clearly in places like Revelation where it says there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more injustice. All of these things, all these wrong things will be made right. And so this already but not yet reality is that we can see that the kingdom is here but also not here fully yet. And in this messy middle time is where we find ourselves. I think this text speaks right to this. Watch this, okay? When we look at the text, we see something really interesting. The first and the eighth beatitude have a matching. This is, Jesus is as a Hebrew man. Like he's diving into Hebrew poetry in the way he's speaking here. And so having the first and the last stanza kind of match. Do you see that there? Theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. If you read this in the original text, you would make it even more clear. It's clear in English too once you see it. That this is present tense. This is a present tense way of speaking. Like theirs will be right now. This is the, the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven right now. Um, so that's the, the bookends. This represents the already. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven now. But the middle eight, look at this. The middle eight have set a part of each sentence that shows that it is future tense. Be very clear in the, in the Greek text. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled or satisfied. We're starved for justice. It doesn't feel satisfied. Well, Jesus is saying they will be satisfied, but not always in the already. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. And so what I think we see here is the not yet, right here in the, in the Beatitudes. Jesus is so clear that this is this is the, the reality, and in that present tense, future tense, that would have been even more clear if we were listening to Jesus in that original language. So when Jesus invites us to seek first his kingdom and his justice, the promise is that we will find what we seek, but not always as immediate as we would like it to be. We've, we're, we're Americans, or we have lived in America. That means we have a little problem we like to call, you know, impatience. <laughs> we want it now, and we want instant gratification, Right? At times, we experience the kingdom of God in our midst, don't we? And it's amazing. It's amazing when we get glimpses of the kingdom, isn't it? But part of why I think it's so difficult for us, like I said at the beginning, it's so difficult to choose to seek first the kingdom every day. It's so challenging. And part of why I think it's so challenging is because that, that longing never leaves us, because we're never fully satisfied. We might experience glimpses of that satisfaction of experiencing what God is doing, but we're never fully satisfied. And perhaps part of what it means for us as, as Jesus followers is to recognize that, that the default position of a Jesus follower is one of longing, longing for something more, knowing that there is something more than what we're experiencing around us. And that longing never leaves us, that longing for wrong things to be made right. And we know that tension, don't we? I mean, I'll, I'll just say it. We, we know that tension in this month when we made national news again because a black man was shot in his home. This is, this is the tension, isn't it? Because we long for that wrong to be made right. We long for health and healing in our police department. We long for health and healing in these communities. We long for people to feel safe and valued and dignity no matter the color of their skin. But right now, we look at that situation and a mere lock will not have justice in this life. I, mean, that's not, I hope people are held accountable. I hope we continue to figure out what we need to do here in our city. But there is nothing in this life that's going to bring him back to his friends and family. That's not a wrong that can be made right in that way. But what we know 
is that this breaks God's heart too, and God says, if you're starved for justice, when you see that happen, when you say there is a complex situation here of things that are not going right, this is wrong. Jesus identifies with that and says, my future kingdom is one where all the wrong things will be made right. And we want to see justice around us now, but we have to remember as Jesus followers that the restorative justice that comes from Jesus alone is not something that can be found in the systems of this world. We seek it, we pursue it, we fight for it in the name of Jesus, but we will not fully experience satisfaction in our starvation for justice until Jesus is with us again face to face. So what if a day of seeking first the kingdom <laughs> looks more like being starving without feeling full? What if a day where we say, God, I'm gonna seek first your kingdom is a day that feels like you're thirsty, but you just remain parched? Jesus says they will be filled. They will be satisfied, but not always yet. I feel that tension. Do you feel that tension with me? The consistent state of a kingdom Christian is one of longing, of desire, of craving, of intentionally looking for the kingdom. When we seek first the kingdom, we're gonna see God do amazing things. I have seen it, I hope you have too. I have seen God do amazing things in our midst and that gives you hope to keep pursuing, doesn't it? That, that even though we're in the already, we can still hold on to that not yet moment because the kingdom of God is in our midst but it is coming again. But I think it's because of Jesus' love for us that he says, I'm with you in that longing and, and it's better and more meaningful to have a life that acknowledges that longing is there and has joy in the glimpses and the moments but holds on for the future hope when all things are restored. So there's a reversal of situation and status and there's a reversal of values. And there's a question that we all have and that is how that, can we live into that great re reversal? How can we say, if the kingdom of God is, the, I often say there's the kingdom of God and then there's all the other little kingdoms. And we participate in those kingdoms in different ways, but we don't have allegiance to any kingdom but the kingdom of God. And when we say that that's true, then we seek after that and we say, what does it look like for us to step into that great reversal? Not to earn God's love, but because of it. And in that, we get an opportunity. Now, I'm just gonna, I know it's like Pastor Seth being honest. I'm gonna be honest with you again, okay? I can't do this. Like, I can't do this reversal of values. I, except there's like two things. If there's two things present, then I can do it. And I think this might be true for you. If I know that I have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and if I know I have a community of people, a community coming together and saying, we're gonna pursue this, flip the script together. And when I have those two things, people who are my ride or die and the Holy Spirit who is empowering us, then I know there's a chance. And I actually wanna finish up our time like sharing something with you that's happening at Mill City. I think there, there might be some ways you might be, want to be involved because we've done stuff together as a church, like supporting every meal and different things that we do together as one big church but we just launched something at Mill City that was birthed out of this idea that there's a flip the script that needs to happen. We got some people together and we said, you know, we have been serving and, and just like Mercy does in the areas of housing and homelessness and what do we do? But we got together and we said, what if we just prayed for like a year and discerned and, and prayed with our feet and did some interviews and learned what do we do about the fact that we've got we've to join in what God is doing to flip the script when it comes to this crisis in our city of affordable housing. 
I don't know if you saw the stat just a few months ago that the Twin Cities are now in the highest disparity between uh, affordable housing available and people who need it. We're, we're like worse than some of the, the cities on the coasts. No offense to the people on the coast, but like we're, we're like not doing great at all. This is really bad. And, and most of you know, the reason that's happening is because of systems of injustice. And things that started a long time ago when we were drawing the county lines and the city lines and where were people were going to live. And so we were filled with this sense of starving for justice and we listened and we prayed and we asked questions. And after we had some interviews of people who we might be able to partner with and after we, I'm serious, like listened and prayed to the point where people are like, are we going to do something yet? Okay, finally, okay, a year later, we've come to this spot where we're ready to say, I think this is one thing that God's calling us to do. So check this video out that kind of gives you an introduction. Hello from our backyard. Hey. This, this is, is our, our backyard. backyard. Mill City Church, this is your backyard. This is our backyard. For the last year, Mill City has been discerning what our role is as a church in the housing and homelessness crisis here in our city. And we're about to start some experiments that the guide team is really excited about. Throughout this process, we have learned about a movement called NIMBY, which stands for Not In My Backyard. These are groups of people who sometimes have compassion for those who can't find affordable housing or who are unhoused. However, for social and often financial reasons, don't want affordable housing or people who've been previously homeless to be living in their neighborhoods. Sometimes these groups of people even organize to keep diversity and different economic levels of housing out of where they live. But what if we flipped that script? What if we at Mill City said, Imbi, in my backyard? In our backyard. In our backyard. In our backyard, Mill City Church. We are developing a partnership with Yard Homes. This is an organization that specializes in accessory dwelling units, or ADUs. These are structures complete with plumbing and electrical that are on an existing property where there's already another building. ADUs provide a home for one or two people where they can live independently, but also embedded within a neighborhood. Yard Homes works with homeowners and churches to consider what it would mean to have accessory dwelling units in their backyards that would provide a home for people who would be otherwise unhoused. The YMCA works with various voucher programs and housing stabilization processes to provide housing for young adults, for single parents, and different types of populations that might be at risk. They make sure that folks have a support team and social workers that will help them as they begin to enter into this housing. A partnership with Mill City, Yard Homes, and the YMCA could mean people could find a home in our backyards. As we begin to discover what these partnerships might look like, there's two experiments that we're exploring. First, Jesse and Carissa Thornson have had their home in Northeast approved to have an accessory dwelling unit. Secondly, we're considering what it would mean to have multiple accessory dwelling units at the Mill City Commons property where we have our midweek space as a church. With Yard Home's innovative funding models, we're gonna be able to consider these experiments with relatively small financial investment. We're really excited about what might unfold. You can check out more information on our website. There you'll see that there's this short MB training course that helps us understand why increasing housing density within our city is so important. Most importantly, please be praying with us and we will see what God will do as we continue to move forward. I'd love for you to go to that website and just read a little bit about what God's doing in and through our community. Because um, it might seem small at first, you know, just like a few more housing options. But, man, people in our, in our community are saying, not in my backyard. <laughs> and we got to flip that script 
And together, whether it's right in you know, your backyard or your backyard, together as people who follow Jesus, we say, hey, even in my backyard, especially in my backyard, this is who we are. Do you see that flip of the script that's happening? I'm just so excited about what God's doing because this is what I mean when I say it's what Jesus wants for us <laughs> because even though this problem is huge, when it feels like the spirit leads you to something, there's just so much excitement about it. It's gonna be big. I don't know exactly how we're gonna pay for it or what we're gonna do, but I trust that the spirit will empower us and we're gonna do it together as a community. And we're gonna do it together as a, a church, big C, right? Some of you are like, I wonder about my backyard. Yes, wonder about your backyard, my friends. <laughs> Go to mbmn.com and it'll show you how you can find out, like, would my backyard be able to do this? Man, I just get excited about how big of a difference we can make, knowing that it's not gonna solve the whole problem because we know we're waiting for this future hope, but how we can say in the name of Jesus, we're gonna be a part of flipping the script because that's a kingdom value, because that's about kingdom status reversal. I'm gonna have the, the worship team come back up and I just wanna leave this challenge for you today. I, I, this, the housing and homelessness thing, that might not be what God uh, has heavy on your heart right now and that's okay, but what is it? How is God inviting you to stretch out beyond your family, beyond your personal circumstances. God cares about those things too. But how is God inviting you to stretch out and seek first the kingdom in your life? I don't know what that looks like. You might have something that comes to mind right away or maybe even just a question you have. You can write it on that contact card even right now just as a way to respond, to say I'm praying about it or to say just write MB. What is that? I'm curious. I just encourage you to take a minute just to write that down and we're gonna pass, the ushers are gonna pass some buckets around and this is the time when you can put in um, offering as well. I, I just wanna say as a guest pastor, you know, let's give some money to Mercy Vineyard Church because this mission matters, okay? <laughs> like, it's awkward for the staff to come up here, but man, if you can, I promise you, I know these people, they will do right by and do well with the financial investment you make to this community. So obviously a lot of people are doing that online, but if you can do that, put that in the baskets as they come around um, and we go into this time of worship. Um, and I just, I, I wanna leave you with this. To seek first the kingdom is what Jesus invites for us. It's not always gonna feel good. It's not always gonna be easy. And even if it's not quite yet found, Jesus promises that eventually we will find all that we are looking for in him. Amen? Let's worship together.